Good afternoon, everyone. Over the years, I've given several sermons about the Sabbath. I've discussed why we should keep the Sabbath, how to keep the Sabbath, questions regarding work appropriate or not appropriate for the Sabbath, and various arguments used against the Sabbath or Sabbath keeping based on scriptures twisted and misused to argue against the plain command of God regarding keeping the Sabbath. Often when people are newly introduced to real Christianity, the real Christianity of the Bible, one of the first and most striking controversies they encounter is the Sabbath. It seems such a peculiar thing to many people at first glance that God would specify a particular day of the week to set aside for rest and congregational worship. And the idea that God would place such emphasis on the Sabbath law may seem even more puzzling to someone new to the idea. If you are new to the Sabbath question and are struggling to understand, what questions do you have or would you have? If you have been keeping the Sabbath for some time and were asked certain questions about the Sabbath, how would you respond? Would you be able to answer fundamental questions about the Sabbath and why you keep it on the seventh day of the week, for example? In this sermon, I want to discuss some questions that have come up about the Sabbath. These are some of the most elementary and basic questions about the Sabbath, yet they are important ones to which we ought to know the answers. Mr. Iaga, Frank Iaga over in Cameroon gave a lecture to a group of people about the Sabbath, a group of people that are basically people have been listening to him on the radio there for a while. And most are, of, of these questions or all of these questions are ones that they asked in one way or another after this presentation. They're similar to questions that I've been asked as well by people that I've visited over the years and inquiring about the Sabbath. Perhaps we should begin by saying that we should be able to appreciate the fact that many people are confused about the Sabbath. Many false teachings about the Sabbath have been promoted by religious leaders, in fact. Even at the time of Jesus, among the Jews, there was considerable confusion about the Sabbath. Not about which day to keep as the Sabbath necessarily, but how to keep it due to false teachings by religious leaders who were ostensibly keeping the Sabbath. And since that time, many have sought to ridicule the idea of Sabbath keeping altogether. There are many who claim that the Sabbath command is no longer binding or that it was only for the Jews or other reasonings to make excuses for breaking the Sabbath. Some have claimed that Jesus himself broke the Sabbath. And we have an article on our website devoted to that question, did, did Jesus break the Sabbath? Which you can access at cogmessenger.org. Others have taught that the Sabbath need not be kept on the seventh day of the week, but should be kept on the first day of the week. So there's a great deal of confusion about the Sabbath, yet as we will see, None of the reasonings or excuses for rejecting the seventh-day Sabbath are valid. 
One question that frequently comes up with people con confronted by the command to keep the Sabbath is this one. Why can't human beings decide when the Sabbath should be kept? Is it really important to God which day is kept as the Sabbath? Why can't we just decide which day to keep ourselves? We must understand that there is no day other than the seventh day Sabbath sanctioned in scripture as a commanded weekly day of rest and worship. Now, of course we can and we should worship God any day and every day of the week, but that fact does not relieve us of our obligation to keep the Sabbath command. God's law establishes the weekly Sabbath as a weekly day of rest from secular labor. On that day, we're commanded to rest from secular labor. In Exodus 20, beginning with verse 8, God said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God blessed, put a special blessing on the seventh day of the weekly cycle, and he hallowed it. That means he made it holy. He made it separate. He sanctified it as something separate from the other days of the week. And he commanded that as he rested on the seventh day from the work of creation, we are to rest from secular labor. That is, work at our normal occupations that we work at to make a living and so forth. It doesn't forbid the work necessary to worship God, such as attending services and so forth, and we've covered that in some of our literature on the Sabbath. But the weekly Sabbath is a day to rest, and it is a commanded feast day. We read in Leviticus 23, beginning verse 1, Leviticus 23 and verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. On it it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So it is a call, referred to here as a feast day and a day for a holy convocation, that is, for us to assemble to worship God. Where that's possible, it's not always possible for people to assemble with others, but where it is possible, that's what we ought to do is normal activity on the Sabbath, which we generally do. The word feasts, here in the English is 
translated from the Hebrew word moed, of which the basic meaning is appointed. So implied is that the Sabbath is a day appointed by God to be observed in accordance with his command in a special way. And the day designated by God for the Sabbath rest is the seventh day of the week. Again in Exodus 20 and verse 10, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. So God sanctified the Sabbath and he made it holy. We read in Genesis 2 and verse 1, Genesis 2 beginning with verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now human beings have not been given the authority to make a day holy that God himself has not made holy. It is not up to us to undo the sanctification of the Sabbath that God himself made holy. Again, in Exodus 20 and verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, that it is he made it holy. So God made the Sabbath day holy and we are to keep it holy by observing it in accordance with God's command. In verse 8 of Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy to keep it holy. God made it holy and we're to keep it holy by remembering or observing it. And it is God's Sabbath. It's not man's Sabbath, it's God's Sabbath. And it is not up to men to make a decision about. It's not up to us to make a decision about except whether we will obey God's command or not. That's the only decision that we have to make about the Sabbath. It's not ours to make a decision about which day it should be or, or whether it ought to be kept or not kept. The only decision that we have to make is whether we're going to obey God in keeping the Sabbath or not. In Exodus 20 and verse 10, Exodus 20 and verse 10, it says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. It's God's Sabbath. And in Leviticus 19, verse 30, we read, you shall keep my Sabbaths. You shall keep my Sabbaths, that is the Sabbaths of God. And these are just a couple of scriptures which clearly tell us that the Sabbath belongs to God, that it is his Sabbath and he is the Lord of it. Jesus, who is God and who was God in the flesh, said in Matthew 12, verse 8, Matthew 12, verse 8, for the Son of Man, meaning himself, Jesus Christ is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
and it is his Sabbath. It is God's Sabbath. The Sabbath was made at the time that God made human beings. It was made at the time that God made human beings. In fact, immediately after God made the very first pair of human beings, the Sabbath was created. On the seventh day of what is called creation week, God made the Sabbath and sanctified it the day after he made the first human beings. But mankind, and specifically most of the Israelites in Egypt, had lost track of the Sabbath during the captivity. And God revealed to Israel in the wilderness as they were coming out, as they'd come out of Egypt and were in the wilderness, God revealed to them which day was the holy Sabbath day. And so we read about that in Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus 16, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven, uh, from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God told them that he was going to rain down bread from heaven, food that is, from heaven for them as they were out in the wilderness and it was uh, food was not necessarily always readily available there. And also they were moving from place to, to place, so they needed to be fed. And this is the way God arranged to feed them by giving them bread from heaven on a daily basis. And part of the purpose of this was to test them as to whether they would obey him. And the test involved the Sabbath day. And in a similar way, it is a test for us as well. It's a test for us as to whether we will trust God to provide for our needs as we work six days a week and keep the seventh day holy, just as it was for them. And it's a test of whether we're really faithful and willing to obey God and do what he says to do. They were to gather the bread from heaven for six days, and on the sixth day, God said that he would provide twice the usual amount. And part of that that was given on the sixth day, they were to keep over for the Sabbath. As we read in Exodus 16, verse 26, Verse 26, it says, Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. In other words, there would be no bread coming down on the Sabbath day. Now, some have tried to reason that this bread was actually some natural substance that sort of seeps out of certain types of trees, but that's not what it was because any trees that, that would produce any substance of that kind don't do it six days a week and then not do it on the seventh day of the week this was something that was done miraculously by God and for 40 years in the wilderness God showed miraculously week after week which day was to be kept holy as the Sabbath and that was the seventh day of the week and the Sabbath is a sign for those whom God sanctifies as holy. It reminds us of who God is 
and of who we are as his people. In Exodus 31 and verse 13, Exodus 31 and verse 13, God said, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So by keeping the Sabbath, we are more likely to be able to identify the true God. And it also is a reminder that if we are sanctified, if we are separated as holy people to God, reminds us that it is God who's, who made us holy and separate from others. In verse 12 of Exodus 20, verse 12 of, of Exodus 20, God said, moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Sabbath is given that, that we might know that he is the Lord who sanctifies us. In verse 18 of Exodus 20, or Ezekiel 20, I should say, and I said Exodus, it was Ezekiel, the previous uh, scripture was supposed to be Ezekiel 20, not Exodus 20. In Ezekiel 20 and verse 18, God said, I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God, walk in my statutes, keep my judgments and do them, hallow my Sabbaths. In other words, keep my Sabbaths holy. And they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So God had told the people of Israel that they were to keep the Sabbath, to keep them mindful of who he was and who, who they were as his holy people, his holy nation, and yet they did not do it. Refusing to keep the Sabbath is to pollute it or to defile the Sabbath. And doing that is a major sin in God's sight. It's not a minor sin. It's not something that God considers of little or no importance. It is a major sin. Breaking the Sabbath is one of the major reasons God rejected the nation of Israel later on and sent them into captivity. In Ezekiel 20 and verse 13, Ezekiel 20 and verse 13, yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. They greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. 
In verse 15, it goes on to say, So I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Going on in verse 23 of Ezekiel 20, God said, also I raised my hand in an, in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. These were the primary reasons that God gives for rejecting the people of Israel eventually and scattering them among the nations is despising his commandments through disobedience and, and especially profaning the Sabbath and idolatry. All of those are tied together, actually, which is one reason why the Sabbath is so important in God's sight. Now, as I mentioned, the seventh day is a memorial of creation. As we read again in verse 11 of Exodus 20, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. By observing the Sabbath, we are reminded of where we came from and where all of creation comes from. Who is the source of life? Who is the one who created all the things that we see around us? The one who made the heavens with all of the starry hosts, the sun and the moon and the earth. The Sabbath was not only intended to commemorate the creation, but was also intended to prefigure the plan of God for the salvation of mankind. All of the annual Sabbaths also have specific meaning, not only in commemorating God's works, but also prefiguring in specific ways the plan of God for mankind's salvation. The Sabbath itself, the weekly Sabbath, as well as all of the annual Sabbaths together, all point to a plan, a specific plan, a step-by-step -step plan that God has worked out and is working out for our salvation, to fulfill the very purpose for which God created human beings in the, in the first place. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 8, 2 Peter 3 and verse 8, Peter wrote, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now the week is six days plus the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. So a week is seven days. In, in the book of Revelation, we find that upon the return of Jesus Christ, there will be a thousand year period, a period of a thousand years during which Jesus Christ and the saints with him will reign over the earth. As we read in Revelation 20 and verse four. Revelation 20 and verse four, I saw thrones and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. 
Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is at the return of Jesus Christ and the first resurrection. And those in that resurrection will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now human history can be reliably traced to about 6,000 years ago. Now there are too many unknowns to pinpoint precisely how long ago the creation of the Sabbath occurred from where we stand today, but it is somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 years. On the day for a thousand years principle, that is a day representing the thousand years indicated by Peter, that means that we are nearing the time of the seventh thousand year period since the creation of mankind. Now we don't know how near we are, as I said, we people have uh, made various attempts to figure out a precise chronology, but they all differ in some way or another. But there's little doubt that it was about 6,000 years ago. The weekly Sabbath was to be a day of rest from secular labor, as I mentioned. It was to be a direct type of the millennial period. Paul writes of the, of the coming rest, as he calls it, that awaits the saints who are faithful in this age. He writes about it in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And he said in Hebrews 4 and verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. The word translated rest in that verse, the Greek word is sabbatismos, which means Sabbath keeping or Sabbath rest. And in a number of English translations, such as the English Standard Version, the New English Translation and others, it is in fact translated Sabbath rest. There remains Sabbath rest for the people of God. So the resurrection of the faithful of this age at Christ's second coming is to be followed by Sabbath rest during which Jesus Christ and the resurrected saints with him will govern the earth for a thousand years. Edward Gibbon, who wrote the decline and fall of the Roman Empire in chapter 15, notes that the early church taught the second coming of Christ and his millennial reign. And he said it was believed that this age, quote, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath. This age would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years. That Christ with the triumphant band of the saints and the elect who had escaped death or who had been miraculously revived would reign upon earth until the time appointed for the last and general resurrection. This is what Edward Gibbon says was believed by the early church. The reason it was believed by the early church is because this is very clearly what the Bible itself teaches. 
that this age would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years, and that Christ, with the triumphant band of the saints and the elect who had escaped death or who had been miraculously revived, would reign upon the earth till the time appointed for the last and general resurrection. Not necessarily the last resurrection, but at least the general resurrection. And it is a fact that most churches calling themselves Christian, however, reject the Sabbath entirely or claim falsely that it was changed to the first day of the week or Sunday. But there is no biblical authority for keeping a man-made Sabbath in place of the seventh-day Sabbath created and sanctified by God. This is from a document called the, pa the Papal Controversy, a book written by D.B. Ray, and he states, and this was a polemic against uh, Protestantism, he states here, quote, from this same Catholic Church you have accepted your Sunday, and that Sunday as the Lord's Day she has handed down as a tradition. And the entire Protestant world has accepted it, a tradition, for you, which you have not one iota of scripture to establish it. Therefore, that which you have accepted as your rule of faith, inadequate as it is, of course, is as well as your Sunday, you have accepted on the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, end quote. What he's saying here, this is a Catholic writer in a polemic against Protestantism, He's chiding the Protestants for keeping Sunday instead of the seventh-day Sabbath, and he is telling them that you have no biblical basis for keeping Sunday. It is established solely on the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, and there are many other Catholic writers who have basically said the same thing. The Catholic Church does not claim that there is any biblical authority for the, for the keeping of Sunday. But they claim that they, made, that they had the authority themselves to change it, and they're the ones who created this tradition and replaced the Sabbath with Sunday worship. And it is a tradition. It is a man-made tradition, something that is admitted by many Catholic theologians and perhaps by some Protestants as well. However, Scripture tells us that we are to obey God's Word, not man-made traditions that make God's Word of no effect. In Mark 7 and verse 6, Mark 7 and verse 6, Jesus said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He went on to say in verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. And he went on to say, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. Now these statements by Jesus were referring to Jewish traditions which contradicted God's commandments. But the same principle applies when speaking of other traditions which displace the word of God. 
such as substituting Sunday for the seventh day of the week, a human tradition which is contrary to the plain teaching of Scripture. Another question that's asked concerning the Sabbath is, will those who refuse to keep the Sabbath be destroyed? Will those who refuse to keep the Sabbath be destroyed? We read in Romans 6, verse 23, that the penalty of sin is death. As we read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death, and breaking the Sabbath is sin. And God, in fact, specifically pronounced the death penalty for defiling the Sabbath. In Exodus 31, verse 13, Exodus 31, verse 13, God said, Speak also the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Actually, any is not in the original, but whoever does work that is secular work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. So the death penalty is specifically prescribed for those who willfully break the Sabbath. Now God is merciful and he desires the salvation of all people. God's, God's not out to destroy people. He wants to save people. As we read in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants human beings to have salvation. But salvation is contingent upon repentance. Now God will give everyone a fair chance to come to repentance as we read in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even now, God commands all men everywhere to repent. That is, to quit rebelling and quit sinning against his law. As we read in Acts 17, verse 30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now you'll notice that God does not always execute his judgments immediately. That today is the Sabbath, we're here to observe the Sabbath, but outside these doors are thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who are breaking the Sabbath. But God is not executing judgment on them at this present time. For the time being, he's overlooking their transgressions to one degree or another. But the day will come when he will execute judgment on those who reject his law and disobey it if they don't repent before that time. Now God is merciful, but sin, including Sabbath breaking, or you might say especially Sabbath breaking, 
should not be taken lightly. As we pointed out earlier, it was a major reason God sent the people of Israel and Judah into captivity. Now concerning salvation and how God is going to work out his purpose to bring most people to repentance, you might want to consult an article we have on our website, cogmessenger.org, entitled, Are the Lost Predestined to Hell? And we have some other articles that also explain more about the path of salvation and, and uh, how God is going to work out his judgments and so forth. We need to remember, too, that there are many benefits and blessings promised for Sabbath uh, keeping, for keeping the Sabbath faithfully. When we do not keep the Sabbath faithfully, we deprive ourselves of those blessings. We read in Isaiah 58, verse 13, Isaiah 58, verse 13, if you turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. There are many blessings that come with keeping the Sabbath. Among those blessings is that we can know who the true God is, and we can come to have a relationship with God, the real God, the true God. We can come to understand his purpose and plan for our lives, why we exist. We can have one day of the week to rest and do something special in terms of worshiping God. Those are just some of the blessings of keeping the Sabbath. Not keeping the Sabbath has blinded people to God's plan and purpose and led them into all kinds of evil and sins. That's one reason there's such a severe penalty for breaking the Sabbath is because breaking the Sabbath automatically leads to other sins. It is a fount for sinfulness and breaking the laws of God. Another question that comes up about the Sabbath is why must the church focus so much on the Sabbath? Or a companion question, why is the Sabbath so strongly opposed by so many? Well, we've, I think we've covered a lot of information about why we should focus on the Sabbath. But God's Sabbath is resisted for the same reason that other commandments of God are resisted, and that is because of the carnal mind. As we read in Romans 8 and verse 7, Romans 8 and verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. However, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome the flesh and the fleshly carnal mind. Paul wrote in Romans 8 in verse 13, if you live by, according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
These are the sons of God. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the, by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the fleshly mind, and the weaknesses of the flesh, you will live. So how do we receive God's spirit? Anyone can have God's spirit. Any human being can have God's spirit who is willing to repent and be baptized and start obeying God. Of course, that's what repentance means. Peter said to a crowd to whom he had proclaimed the message of the gospel in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we repent and are properly baptized, then we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the fact is only a small number of people are willing to genuinely repent, to genuinely seek and obey the truth in this age. And that's the way it's been down through all of human history. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And that's the way it is in this age. It's the way it's always been in this world ever since the time Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. They're a relatively small number who find the way of life because they're willing to enter by the narrow gate. And it's interesting that people of faith are often ridiculed as being narrow-minded and I suppose there are ways in which being narrow-minded could be harmful, but other ways in which we ought to be narrow-minded because the way of God is a specific way of life which has, has limits and borders. It has guidelines which we are to follow closely and observe. It's a way of life that is based on specific laws that limit our conduct and focus our conduct along certain pathways. And most people don't want to be restrained by those laws. They're not willing to be restrained by God's laws. And so they don't want to be told that you must keep a certain day of the week holy, that there's a certain day of the week that you should not be doing secular labor, that you should be spending your time doing other things that have to do with focusing your mind on God and worshiping Him. So it shouldn't be surprising that the Sabbath is so strongly resisted by so many people. It goes against the grain of human nature. It goes against the flow of, of this world, the way this world is, is set up to function. And if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you've got to step out and go against the current and do something different from what other people are doing. 
Another common question is, how do you know which day is the seventh day? This is, a, this is one that a lot of people ask, thinking that uh, this is some difficult riddle to know which day is the seventh day. Actually, there's no riddle to it. We read in Exodus 16 how God revealed to Israel in the wilderness which day is the weekly Sabbath. And at the same time, he gave the Israelites a calendar to keep which was to be maintained by the priesthood. And so they were given the responsibility, the, the Levites, for, for preserving the Hebrew calendar. And that included the weekly cycle, as well as counting years and so forth. Now, from that time to this, from, from that time throughout the history of Israel and Judah, some of the Israelites, although not all of them, were keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath has never been lost since that time. The Jewish nation continued to observe the Sabbath and maintain the calendar even while they were in captivity and then after their captivity up to the time of Christ. Jesus Christ kept the Sabbath on the same day as other Jews kept the Sabbath. So he put his imprimatur, you might say, on the Jewish Sabbath, as it's called, as the seventh day of the week, the proper day to be keeping the Sabbath. So the revelation of which day is the Sabbath is preserved in the Hebrew calendar, which has been kept faithfully for thousands of years since the time of Moses. It's also preserved in the history of the New Testament church. There have been Sabbath-keeping churches, that is, churches of God, churches that worshipped Jesus Christ and kept the Seventh-day Sabbath in various locations around the world from the time of the New Testament era until today. I have a list of quotations from various sources documenting Sabbath day observance by Christians in many centuries in many places on the earth, such as the Near East, India, China, Persia, parts of Italy, France, Spain, parts of Eastern Europe, Ireland and Scotland and others. There were some Sabbath keepers, some people who kept the seventh day Sabbath among the early settlers from England who came to the United States during colonial during the colonial era. Even the apostate church that turned to Sunday or first day worship by calling it the first day implicitly admits that they are not keeping the seventh day. In fact, sometimes they even call it the eighth day or the day after the seventh day. So in, a, in an indirect way, they themselves acknowledge the Sabbath. Which day is the seventh day of the week has never been in doubt for thousands of years. And God never sanctified an eighth day, nor the first day of the week is a day set aside for weekly rest and worship. Another question that has been asked, is there any place in the Bible where people are punished for not keeping a holy day other than the weekly Sabbath. Now we, we read of people 
being punished for breaking the Sabbath, but has anybody, is there any place in the Bible that you can point to where people are punished for not keeping the annual Sabbaths, the annual holy days? In Leviticus 23, the feasts listed include days of rest referred to as Sabbaths on which no secular work was to be done. The general prohibition regarding breaking God's Sabbaths applied to the annual Sabbaths as well as the weekly Sabbath. For example, in Leviticus 23 and verse 28 concerning the Day of Atonement, God said, any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. And although it's not stated specifically in that same chapter, the same principle would apply to any Sabbath, weekly or annually. In Zechariah 14, we see a curse pronounced against any who refuse to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In Zechariah 14, verse 18, Zechariah 14, verse 18, this is a prophecy for the future. It says, if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. This is the, speaking of the time when Jesus Christ is reigning on the earth. And if the people of Egypt do not come up, they shall have no rain. They shall re receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. As pointed out earlier, breaking God's law is sin and the ultimate penalty for sin is death. And the Sabbaths, all of the Sabbaths are among God's laws. So we ought to ask ourselves, which do we want, blessings or curses? And if you're in doubt about the Sabbath or whether you should keep the Sabbath, that's one of the questions you should be asking yourself. Do you want blessings or curses? Now, it's all right to ask questions. And we should want to understand the answers to legitimate questions about the Sabbath, as well as other aspects of the Bible's teachings. But sooner or later, each one of us has to decide. We have to decide whether we're going to act or not on what God's word says. And it would be to our great benefit to act faithfully in keeping the word of God, including observing the Sabbaths which he has made holy.